Hey, thanks for joining us again online today. We're continuing in our study of Romans. Now, the farthest I've ever run is a 10K, which isn't that long. But as I read about a person who runs a half marathon or, or a marathon, they need to keep eating and drinking while they're running. And if they don't, it will catch up to them sometime. It's how they keep running amidst a grueling race. Well, at times when we're suffering, it can feel like that. We're in a marathon. And what keeps us going? It's, it's not food and water spiritually. Uh, there's something else. And I want to talk about that today, uh, what keeps us going amidst suffering. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open that to Romans chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 18, and we're going to go through verse 39 and wrestle with this question, what keeps us going amidst suffering? At the end of uh, the first 17 verses, Paul had talked about the fact that we were fellow heirs, and that as heirs, we're going to take on an inheritance one day when we met Jesus. Uh, but he slipped almost an aside in there that if we're going to um, rule with him, that we also will suffer with him just like he suffered. And it's that suffering that I want to talk about today that Paul picks up, uh, starting in verse 18. He says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that phrase, the glory that is to be revealed to us, uh, refers to the return of Jesus, the greatness, the awesomeness of God that will be ours and will be on full display and ours for full understanding and full connection. Well, that's far greater than any pain we'd suffer over here on this earth. When I started undergraduate, my brother started medical school, and we were only 90 miles apart, College Station, Texas, to Houston, Texas. Uh, my parents moved away when I was a sophomore, and he was in his second year of medical school, so I would go down and visit him fairly frequently. And I would see packets, thick packets of material that had to be memorized. Now, you could go to class, you could go to the lecture or not, but you had to put in the time to know this stuff, and you'd be tested on it. The basic science is part of medical. You would be tested on it. Why? Why would a medical student put in that kind of time, that kind of effort, expend that kind of energy, stay up that many nights so late, go through the stress of trying to put this to memory? Because they wanted to be people who practiced medicine. They wanted to help people. And what they decided was the cost of learning that material was worth it in light of the chance to practice medicine. That's what Paul says, what awaits us at the end of suffering, the, the revelation of Jesus, the understanding of him in full is worth it in comparison to the suffering we'll go through. But that doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's not difficult, and Paul understands that. Uh, starting in verse 19, he says, for anxious for the anxious longing of the creation. Now, no, no, he's not going to talk about humans just yet. He's going to talk about the sub-creation. He's going to talk about the plants and the animals and the rocks. Here he goes. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. That, that, uh, waiting eagerly, it means it strains its neck. 
For, for what? What are they waiting for? The revealing of the sons of God. That's the people of God in their full glory at the coming of Jesus. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The creation will be at its fullness when God's created beings, the ones that represent him, that carry his image, are at their fullness when, when they're reflecting him fully because they know him face to face. For we know, Paul says, that the whole creation, the rocks, the plants, the animals, the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. Again, childbirth, another metaphor, the suffering, but at the end is the product of a beautiful child. And Paul says, yes, this this creation groans. And he uses a word in verse 20, he says it was subjected to futility. Let me give you an example of futility. You're driving in the winter and you get stuck in a snowbank. Well, you can sit there or you can step on the accelerator to try and get out. But when you step on the accelerator, you just spin your tires. It, it's futile. You're wasting energy for nothing. And that's what Paul says. The creation is subjected to futility. It goes, it does its thing, but it's, it's not getting anywhere until Jesus comes back. If you're stuck in the snowbank, or I'm stuck in the snowbank, we're not getting anywhere until a tow truck, somebody from the outside who is on solid pavement comes and hooks up to us and pulls us out. We need an intervention. Otherwise, we're stuck in futility. Now, in verse 22, Paul says this sub-creation, the plants, the animals, the rocks, they, they groan. But they're not the only ones that groan. Uh, we groan, verse 23, and not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan, there we are, within ourselves, waiting eagerly for what? For our adoption as the sons, as sons, the redemption of our body. Paul uses adoption as a metaphor. I, I had some friends who adopted two children in Haiti, and, and they made the decision to love them. And so the adoption was started, and, and they went down there to be with them. But you know, the, the, the fullness of that experience didn't happen until they brought their kids home in their house with the full benefits of United States culture. That's what Paul's saying. We, we, we've experienced a, a peace, but not fully, not yet. And so, without God being physically present, we groan. Well, Andy, what what does this groaning look like? Right now, as a culture, we're trying to figure out reconciliation, racial restoration. And we're doing it 200 years ever after having enslaved the people. And if you get on Facebook, here's a hundred ideas about what's right and what's wrong, and, and we're, excuse me, we're, we're groaning. And if we're gonna do anything before we start, we need to pray. We, we need to seek this God. Remember we said the, the sub-creation, they're, they're, they're stretching their neck. Well, that, that needs to be the, our heart attitude. 
We're crying out to this God. Since you can't come back, will you, we're groaning. Will you do something? Oh, and by the way, while we're trying to figure this out, we're still in the midst of a pandemic, don't you know? And either, depending on who you talked to, the, the, the lockdown was too much or it wasn't soon enough. And we're trying to figure out how to walk our way through this for the first time in 100 years. Boy, we ought to be crying out, groaning. We can't run this on our own. That's on a corporate level. Maybe for you it's on a personal level. It's a relationship you just can't get figured out. Or it's an illness that just isn't responding to treatment. And what do we do? We, we groan for this one that one day will come back, but, but, but we're looking to him even now as we groan. Here's what Paul says. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he has already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. Let me give you this picture. Back in the day, before cell phones, if you broke down, you were by the side of the road. I remember as a kid we did this, and we tied a, a white flag in our antenna, and we hoped somebody would stop. But man, cars... And we didn't know if and when that hope would be answered. Now, somebody eventually stopped. But we didn't have a certainty of a hope. But today, if we break down, we've got a cell phone. Uh, we call roadside assistance. We call a friend. We call whoever we call. And they say, yeah, you know, give me 30 minutes. Well, that, that's a lot more certain hope, isn't it? And, you know, 30 minutes might be 40 might be 45, but, but we have a pretty good idea that, that, that our hope is rooted in something that will happen. Well, that's what Paul's talking about. We have a hope that is certain that something will happen, that Jesus will return. In the meantime, we're groaning, along with all of creation, the rocks, the plants, and animals, longing. But we've got the certainty that that will happen. So as we're suffering, we're asking this question, what keeps us going amidst suffering? Here's one of the things that does. The certainty of God's return. The certainty of God's return. Yeah, the world's a mess, and it's, it's hard to figure it out. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't do something. We should, but, but un, we understand that it'll be fully right when Jesus returns. But there's something else, I think, that keeps us going. And Paul talks about that, keeps us going in the midst of suffering. He talks about that in verse 26. He says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. When we don't know what to say, God has given us the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and he intercedes with groanings. There's our word again. Uh, too deep for words. He connects with the Father in the ways we just can't. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. See, uh, Verses 16 and 17 of this chapter called us children of God, people who can cry out, Abba, Father. There's this intimacy, but this intimacy, this connection is facilitated by the Spirit of God who knows the mind of God but lives in our world, lives in our heart, and knows what's going on and, and 
can connect the two. When our oldest son was born, he was born in Chile. We were first-time parents in a culture that wasn't our own. And so our obstetrician set us up with a pediatrician. And the first meeting, he said, hey, you guys are doing fine with your Spanish. If you never, ever need to go to English, I can go with you. See, I did my residency training in the United States. And though he was Chilean, he was U.S. board certified as a pediatrician. For hope and for me, having a a doctor for our son that was well-versed in Chilean culture but understood where we were coming from, understood the requirements of Chilean medicine but also understood the requirements of U.S. medicine, and maybe when we couldn't quite, if, if our Spanish ever limited us and we couldn't do it, he could switch to our heart and native language. We never had to do that, but it was always there. We... Man, there there was a a security that came with that. This man could could breach those two worlds. Do you understand the Spirit of God does that for you and for me? Sometimes we're suffering so bad, we're so far in over our head. We We don't know what to do, what to pray. But what keeps us going is the presence of God's Spirit. He connects us with the Father when we don't know how. And that's important because he can bring home the truth of this next verse, which is critical when we're suffering because sometimes we don't get an answer to the question why, but we have this certainty, and here it is, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work. And remember, this is being written in the context of suffering, but so we can say particularly with suffering. We know that God causes all things to work together for good, including suffering, for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do we have it figured out? Do we get it? No. Do we, whether it's on a personal or, or, or a corporate basis, do we have it figured out? No. But there's one who's got a purpose for this, who does. You know, Johnny and Anna Hauer are people I consider friends. They are people that have reordered their life and their priorities around the gospel. And yet, making these kind of choices is no promise that we won't suffer. I've asked them to share a little bit about a a painful experience. I hope you'll listen, because I think they have a lot to speak out of their experience. Hi, my name is Johnny Hauer, and this is my wife, Anna Hauer. We've been married for seven years. And we have a son, Judah, who's two years old. Um, So we're both in the field of education. Um, I'll be starting my seventh year of teaching at Lincoln North Star. I teach English and I coach track and field, dive, and cross country. And I'm a speech pathologist also at North Star High School. And it's been kind of a, an interesting process of even trying to get pregnant with Judah. It took us quite a while. Um, and then eventually, a little after a year, we got pregnant with him and then decided we'd, we wanted to try for more. Um, and so we had our first miscarriage last fall, which was difficult. I think initially 
we knew it could happen. We knew um, it's pretty frequently happens to people, our friends, some of our friends, some of our family members have miscarriages. Um, but it's just one of those bad things that you never think is gonna happen to yourself. We're hopeful to have another child. And so when we found out we were pregnant again, um, I'd say you were very excited. I was really excited. Um, I thought, you know, we had one miscarriage. It's gonna be good the second time. I'm ever the optimist. And so the whole uh, pregnancy, I was pretty excited. I was farther along, the pregnancy was going well the second time around, and I was getting to the time where I got to go get an ultrasound. Um, and because of COVID-19, I had to go alone. John couldn't come with me, and that that really freaked me out because I already had anxiety leading up to this. It's um, one of those things where when you're first pregnant, you're usually really excited about your ultrasound. You get to see your baby. Um, but I was, I was just freaked out. Um, I really, honestly, didn't really want to go. But when I got there, the ultrasound tech eventually left the room and I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Um, and immediately my doctor came back with her. So I knew, you know, this wasn't happening. Something was wrong. After she told me we weren't gonna be having a baby, um, just immediately, just devastated. Um, I had a feeling it could happen still, but um, I just, fear started trickling in. Um, lies a lot of things i just all these emotions just started coming in and i just sat sat there and i stared blankly um and johnny wasn't since johnny wasn't there um i wanted to be with him i wanted to be with him but i really i didn't want to tell him i didn't want to let him down and i didn't want to have to say we weren't having a baby again i knew there was something wrong because she was facetiming me the ultrasound and then ended it abruptly and so I knew right then and there that there was an issue. And then eventually she calls me back and um, this didn't happen the first time we had a miscarriage, but this time audibly I was, I was in the basement yelling at God, crying, why would you let this happen? Uh, and I think processing through a lot of emotions that maybe I hadn't dealt with, uh, like some of the bitterness I had maybe towards just the world in general, like how come certain people are able to get pregnant like that and we, are doing all the right things, all the good things, shouldn't we be rewarded for that? And I think I was just taking God's grace and getting it all twisted up instead of trusting him and knowing that, um, you know, he doesn't reward us with children based off of our actions. Um, it's a gift that he can give us or not give us. And I think that was the hardest thing for me is I had a lot of anger towards him for a time there. Like I really rely on scripture and that he works all things for the good of those who love him. And that's not a verse that I just, you know, like, say. I truly believe that although this is a tragic situation, it wasn't a punishment or anything, God has a purpose intended, and um, I think we just have to have faith through this. That's extremely difficult, um, and it's harder some days than others, but I know that God's word is true. And something I did actually the first day after finding out is I went and I knew I knew all these lies and emotions that were going on in my head, and I, um, I ended up making a list of all the lies or just all the emotions that I was feeling. And so I wrote them all out and then I said, okay, what are the truths that I know? What do I know about God? What do I know about his plans for us? And so uh, that, was, that was healing. And I've gone back to that list multiple times as I'm feeling those emotions of, um, this is my fault, we're never gonna get pregnant again. Um, my worth comes from even being able to have a child. Um, just some of those lies and just going back to knowing God is good. Um, he has a plan, he has a purpose for our pain. He didn't cause this. He doesn't want this for us. He didn't want this pain for us, but we live in a broken world and um, 
he has a plan for our purpose. So we're kind of just living that out now and trying to see what that, what that plan is. Ever since we've gotten married, like this is our greatest ministry is our marriage. Um, as much as we love teaching and small groups and our church and everything, like this is the most important relationship, but you gotta love your spouse through this. Um, and that comes from trusting God and love your spouse well. But we know, we know God is good. We've seen it time and time again in our lives, in our friends' lives, in our families' lives, just how God has provided so many blessings and hope and peace. He's provided healing in our relationship when maybe we haven't been the best to each other. We've seen him um, bring people closer together through their miscarriages, and we know that he can very well do the same thing. And our marriage is gonna be stronger because we've gone through this. You know, as I watched that video, a couple things stood out to me. They don't have an answer to the question of why. They haven't gotten that answer to the question of why, when they love their son, and why, when they desperately want another child, have they had two miscarriages? Here's the second question they don't have answered. <laughs> What's the future look like? Can they have another child? They don't know. And yet, they will say, in the midst of that, that God is good. Are they out of touch? No, no, I think they're very in touch with Romans 8.28. We know that God causes all things, yes, even miscarriages, to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Does that mean it's easy? Does that mean it's pain-free? No, it absolutely does not. But it does mean God is at work when we suffer. And in fact, this is a microcosm of a bigger thing that Paul, uh, God is doing in our lives for those who believe in Jesus. And Paul lays that out in verses 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew. Now there's a big debate among scholars what does foreknowledge mean. I, I think it's people that God chose of his own free will. Sovereign grace. He predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And it sets off this chain of reaction. And whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom, those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's our word again. God coming in glory. Well, when he comes, he's going to glorify us. He's going to give us new bodies. And we're going to reflect the person and image of Jesus. And all the experiences we have, the painful experiences, they're a part of this process in which we are glorified, refined, made to reflect the image of Jesus. Now, now Paul uh, maybe answers a concern, well, what if, what, what, what if we do something that, that separates us or, or, or pulls us apart from God. This process gets short-circuited somehow. Here's what Paul says, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Well, it's a rhetorical question, no one. Uh, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not with him freely give us all things? Well, he won't, there's nothing he will hold back. Verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? That the answer to that would be nobody. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? No one can condemn before a person that's been justified by Jesus. Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us when we fail. 
He says that sin is paid for. He shows the wounds in his hand. Father, I died for that. That whole business is about you and I who believe in Jesus. We can't be separated from this process, from this certainty that God is redeeming our suffering. Look, when I was a freshman in high school, I swam and uh, we'd have our meets on Friday and Saturday and I swam some with the varsity, some with the freshmen and sophomores. But uh, after a meet on Saturday, the upperclassmen would go to Burger King. Well, the underclassmen would go home because they couldn't drive. And because I worked out with varsity and swam with them, they, they would invite me. Hey, Andy, you want to go? As a freshman, they would invite me. Man, I, I thought it was pretty cool. Freshmen getting invited with the juniors and seniors. But you know what? I was always kind of nervous as we were sitting in Burger King because I, I didn't want to say something stupid. I didn't want to do something dumb that would get me uninvited on the next week. I had a place that was privileged, but I was afraid of losing it. Do you understand? We have a place that is far, far greater privilege, but Paul says, uh, you can't lose it. Not because of who you are or because of who I am, because of who Jesus is. Nothing can separate us from God because of Jesus. And so Paul talks about that in verse 35. He says, then, who will separate us from the love of Christ? No one. Will tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? That's a rhetorical question. No. Well, man, man, and if, if nothing can separate us, life is going to be downhill with the wind at our back and the sun in our face? No, 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 no. Uh, verse 36. Just as, as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul quotes Psalm 44 in that. Yeah, there's nothing that can separate us from God's love, but that doesn't mean we won't suffer. We will. Look, Jesus, the one who we follow, he suffered. Why? Because he challenged the values. He challenged the people who were in power, and that was well not received. He spoke for justice, and that was well not received. Was not well received. And we're called to be those people who, who, who speak for the vulnerable for the marginalized, like who? Like, like the unborn child. Like the person who is set aside because of their ethnicity or race. Like the person who doesn't get invited to sit at lunch at the school table because they're socially inept. Jesus said, I want you to stand for those people. I want you to love those people. I want you to befriend those people. And sometimes that'll cost us. Well, how much? Well, even our life. Look, brothers and sisters around the world who name the, Jesus, uh, who name the name of Jesus, are, uh, their life, they're, they're losing their life. They're losing their families. They're being put in jail. But that doesn't mean we're, we're separated. It, it, Paul says, though, that in these things we can conquer because we're connected. Here's what he says in verses 37 through 39. That in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, we will be able to separate us from the love of God, 
which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because we're connected, and there's nothing that can separate us, well, then we may suffer loss in this world. But because we don't suffer the loss of that relationship with God, we're victorious. Look, I don't know if you saw it on the news last Sunday, but there was a car that caught on fire. It was coming down south on 84th, turned east on Holdridge and pulled in. There's a fire department there and a Sonic, and, and uh, it went up in flames. My wife was a passenger in that car, <laughs> and she got out, she got away, and she called 911, and the guy told him to get away, and then she called us to come pick her up, and we're about five minutes from that house, and, and, and by the time I got there, they were, they were hosing this thing down, and I mean, this car was burned. <laughs> it wasn't, it, this is going to be told out. This was a total loss. There was a real loss right there in that automobile, a minivan. But you know what, Honestly? that loss didn't matter much because the relationships were intact. Uh, the lady that was the driver was able to get out, a colleague of Hope's, and, and she was over there with her husband. And yeah, yeah, it's a bummer. And it, there would be a cost to losing that car, but hey man, you got, you got your wife. And I, I thought about it after. I, I didn't think much about the van at all because I, I had my wife. When we suffer, when we stand for Jesus, there will be loss, but nothing will take away the relationship we have with God. And so Paul says we, we conquer in that, even in the midst of suffering. You know, when Paul started Romans way back, chapter one, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of salvation of the Jew first and then to the Greek. But you know, it's, it's more than just getting us into heaven. It's what empowers us, strengthens us to keep us going amidst the suffering. The connection that comes through faith, the righteous standing we're viewed like God views Jesus. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this message. So let me ask, are you suffering? You know, in, in the pandemic, a lot of people have lost jobs. Are, are you one of those people? I, I can't promise you when, but there's a God who wants to go through it with you. In the tumult of what's happened in the last week or two, are you, are you one of those people? Maybe you were downtown as, maybe you were downtown as a police officer. Were you caught, hurt in that? Are you suffering for that? Jesus wants to walk with you. Did you lose a business downtown? Did your business get trashed? Jesus wants to walk with you. Or is, or is it more personal? Are you, are you dealing with an illness? Are you dealing with a broken relationship? Are you, are you dealing with a budget that's tight every month and Andy, when's it gonna get fixed? I don't know, I don't know, but I know Jesus wants to walk with you. And one day he's coming back and he's gonna restore us all. And that hope 
gives us strength to walk in the midst of the suffering. I mentioned it before. I had the chance with my son over five weeks to watch the special put on ESPN called The Last Dance. It's the story of Michael Jordan and the Bulls and their run to six championships, and it focuses particularly on the 97-98 year. But there's a point in Jordan's career when he is struck by tragedy. He has just won his third championship with the Bulls. It's 1993. He's reached the pinnacle. He's on his way to who knows where. But whenever or often when you saw Jordan, his dad was by his side. He had grown up trusting his dad. And in July of 1993, his dad was tragically murdered. And that rock was taken out of his life just like that. And not surprisingly, I don't think in my opinion, he decided to take a break from basketball and went and played baseball for a couple of years. My point is this, when our rock is something or someone other than God, it can be taken from us like that. The beauty of setting our hope and our heart on God, especially in the midst of suffering, is that can't be taken. He's outside of time. He's outside of our world. He's eternal. And by the way, he is coming back to make things right. What keeps us going? Amidst suffering, the certainty of his return, and the presence of his spirit. Let me pray. Our God in heaven, our world seems like it's coming apart. So we look out and we wonder, and then we look in. We wonder, and we're suffering corporately and individually. And what keeps us going here? I think it's you, the presence of your spirit. And the promise that you will come back and you will make things right. And you will show your greatness and you will redeem your people once and for all. Thank you, Jesus, for that certainty. And we pray in your name. Amen.